Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's Tuesday? Tuesday, July 14th. Hanging out actually in my son's room. I've never recorded in here before, but um, Genevieve and Ethan are passed out on the couch, so I didn't want to disturb them. So this is my option. Uh, This week on the show, I have Rob Griffith again for part two. This is going to finish up our conversation. We get into a bunch of stuff like TV and uh, placements, commercial, publishing, all that stuff. Um, We talk about being dads and the struggles that are going to come when we finally get back on the road and uh, what that's going to look like. Who knows? Don't know what it's going to look like. I also tell a story about how I almost quit music. (laughs) How my uh, first show with Stephen Kellogg was kind of, uh, it was eye-opening, very informative. Definitely showed me the person that I was and who I wanted to be and who I didn't want to be. Make sure you stay tuned for the music at the end of the episode. I'm going to keep this very short, but uh, very important. There is a new tier level. On the Patreon, patreon.com slash after the gig. If you want to support this podcast, I encourage you to go to patreon.com slash after the gig. I added a new tier in there um, for a Zoom lesson, drum lesson, voice lesson, guitar lesson, whatever you want. And that includes all the content that you get, all the exclusive content that you get on the uh, Patreon feed in there. And there's going to be this stuff all the time every month. So check that out. Please consider um, supporting the podcast and joining that part of the community. There is an after the gig Facebook group. So consider joining that post on there all the time. Um, And it's not too crazy. Crazy? Why would it be crazy? Anyway, so you can also email the podcast. I love to hear your suggestions. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you want me to offer you in the uh, the Patreon. Tell me what you would like. I want to hear from all of you. Um, be a part of the community. Let's do this. It's hard out there for for uh, for artists out there. So keep on helping and keep on being the best podcast listeners out there. All right. I feel like an infomercial. Anyway, Rob Griffith, such a great guy. If you haven't checked out Bronze Radio Return. That's his band. They have new music out now. Um, I played Still Wandering in the uh, previous episode, but you can check that out anywhere. Support those guys. And that's it, man. That's it. Please enjoy my conversation with Rob Griffith, part two. Now you guys, you guys have had a lot of um, a lot of success doing like placements, whether it's a TV show or a commercial um, or anything like that. Like, what do you think? Uh, why do you guys think you went that route, and why has it been successful for you guys? Good question. Um, well, the reason we went that route was um, we saw opportunities for for more exposure but also other ways to make make money as a band. And um, one th- one thing that we thought about early on was we love touring. We want to tour a ton, but we don't want to just exclusively have to tour to, to feed ourselves and make a living. Right. And so, and, um, you know, for some bands, that, that's a reality and they have to have to travel 200 or more days a year and, you know, just play a ton of shows and we love doing that and we've had years where we have done that but um but finding a way to have maybe some of that passive income so that we can still do other things like like have families and um you yeah. know now two of us have have kids and um you know a couple more are married and so the older you get the more challenging the traveling gets as you know right and so we wanted to just find a way to to uh to be able to make money when we're not on the road and still be doing this band thing full time. And so 
we've never once like written or created a song with uh, with the licensing in mind but we've been lucky that it's happened for us in 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 a way that you know a lot of the songs have just kind of fallen into the right hands of people that wanted to use them for for various things and and like when we were getting started I'll, i'll never forget it was that same year we did the dan mills tour with you guys in 2010 Mm -hmm. and we sat around one of our i think it was at my house we were sitting around the family room and we were just kind of talking about like what are our goals for this year and one of them at the top of the list was how do we figure out how to get a song on tv or in a commercial or a movie or just something like that right and so you know we made that like a top goal for that year and we tried and we reached out to all these companies and we got rejected and we had maybe one or two that took us on and even when it a company like that takes you on it doesn't mean you're going to get anything it just means they're going to try to get you something yeah were so, you guys were you guys doing trying to do things exclusively with companies or are you just like throwing it out to everything that you could well we i know some of those things, things. non-exclusively okay all right gotcha yeah, yeah and that, that that's we've made a point out of that actually um to to make sure the things we do are non-exclusive in that regard because um I'm sure there are a lot of great companies out there that can do great exclusive work for people. But what happens is you, you enter in one of those deals and somebody doesn't deliver. Well, then you're stuck in that deal and you can't really allow somebody else to try to deliver for you. Right. So, so we really fought to have these non-exclusive deals and we had to pass up some that were <laughs> exclusive. But then by the end of 2010, we finally got a bite and it was for it was for the remake of the show 90210 oh um, I yeah. think it was like the CW network or something I mean just you know not not the one that we're gonna go like brag about to our friends or like it was it was a terrible show terrible <laughs> show <laughs> and they paid us like a hundred bucks for it oh but that's great we got a Something. song on a tv show so that was like we hit we hit that goal okay great so then from there we were able to say hey we were on this this show to the to the next people and then we were able to get like another small show of some kind and then and then just kind of built from there and by the time we had five or ten of these under our belt we uh you know it just it, it was like a snowball effect almost and then we had a, a bunch of these non-exclusive deals in place where our music was constantly getting just you know to the right people who could make those decisions to put it in commercials and tv shows and movies and stuff right yeah and um yeah and, and then by i think it was 2012 was was the year that we went from being like a part like a full-time part-time band because i think if you're in a band and you're trying to do it even if you're not making full-time income it's still a full-time priority and time commitment so we, and we were always a, a full-time band in that regard but right. we were only making part-time money at that point and we all had other things going on and i was teaching drum lessons and playing other gigs but i'll never forget we we had a, a, a nissan commercial come through that's right I, I remember this yeah yeah, and it, um, it was like the first worldwide commercial that they were doing where like the, the visual and the audio were exactly the same on every continent in the world, wow. which was a new thing for them. And somehow, it, somehow, uh, I think what we found, came to find out later was like an intern at this ad agency was a fan of ours and had picked that particular song. And and so they reached out and that was that was the moment where we were all able to say adios to whatever else we were doing. That's great. And this became our full-time thing. That's awesome. And, and then from there, we just figured out how to keep that going. And which how, song, you know, which song was, uh, that on was that for commercial? a song called shake. It was called shake, shake, shake. Yeah. That's like a, people don't understand about how like the back end of things works like that. And that if you, if you land something like that, it can really, it can really change, change how you look at your future and how you look at uh, approaching, um, you know, your band as a business, and how you can move forward. Like that's, it's so cool. It's so cool that that happened. Yeah, thanks, man. It was, um, we we feel very very lucky that we've been able to, you know, do do a lot of that business, and it keeps us. I don't know. It just it, it's one of those things that helps keep keep us going and make this feel like it's a a real viable thing that we're doing and we can take a year where we don't necessarily have to tour or we can just play like a few dates and you know we love to tour but like thankfully right now with what's going on with covid we 
don't have to be on the road and yeah you know we're we're no, nobody's getting rich but you know we're we're also not not hurting necessarily because yeah, we're not, not hurting and not so. exposed not ha- feeling like squeezed like you have to, have to do it um have you guys uh moved away to some of those licensing online based companies and gone towards some of the relationships that you've made over the years or do you still work with some of these companies um we still work with some of these companies um we did we did do a publishing deal back in 20 i think it was 2014 and so when we we did that um we had to take our music out of certain catalogs with with some of these third-party companies because yeah publisher is going to want you know i will say that was the only time we did an exclusive kind of deal but there there were a lot of benefits to why we did that but yeah some things um, make sense some some don't you know yeah, exactly. But but also then we got them to flex a little bit and allow some other companies to help bring in some licenses for us as well. And so, you know, we had a good partnership there, but now we're we're out of that particular deal and so now moving forward, everything we create is our own. And we, and we have some new music coming out actually starting in a couple of weeks. We're going to start putting out a a song every 4 to 6 weeks now from mid-July on. That's great. So, yeah, and, and we feel lucky to be in a spot where we 100% own that music, both from a you know a label standpoint, a master side, and a publishing standpoint. So mm-hmm. so we've, we've kind of, in the last couple of months, we've been quietly busy um, putting some more of those deals together where we're working with those licensing companies and um, just sorting out other things with how we're going to be releasing the music and everything. But it's it's exciting to have all those rights back and it's it's almost kind of like we're back working out of the basement like we were 10 years ago doing the DIY kind of thing even though we do have those teammates still here it's we're we're st- we're more ha- we're more hands on right now than we've been in a while wow and and it's exciting and and we are already feeling a difference in just the results of when we're a lot more hands on than the times that we're not Okay. Because you any know, what, examples what a, of that? Well, um, I can probably think of a good one, but but what I was going to say is that a, a like one of our old managers told us, no one's ever going to work as hard for your own music as you are going to. You know, no, nobody else is invested in it in the same way. No, no manager, no agent. You know, nobody. And granted, those people get very very involved and, and very invested, but never to the level as you, the artist. Right. And so, if you, the artist, aren't putting in all that work and you're expecting other people to do it, you know, more often than not, you're, you're not going to see the results you're hoping for. Yeah, I was so, listening to, to Bill Burr's podcast the other day, which is not music related at all, but <laughs> he's um, hysterical though. And he's a drummer. Yep. He's great. I, uh, yeah. I was listening to that podcast and he said, uh, I think it was someone else he heard it from, but you know, you're better off selling 20,000, uh, copies of something that you own a hundred percent of than 20 million of something that you don't because you're mm. not going to you're you know you're not going to see the returns it's going to be taken from so many other pieces of the pie and when it finally gets back <laughs> to you it's, there's not going to be anything left so yeah it's it's very true and you know, we've been in situations where our piece of the pie got very, very small. So it, yeah. it feels good to good to get back to a place where you know the we'll have the bigger piece again. You guys are such a good band, and the, the music is awesome. Yeah, uh, July tenth will actually be the first single, and then we'll have another follow up towards the end of uh, August. Where did yeah. you guys record that? So, so we've kind of been doing the the covid recording approach where we are recording in our our own studios so we yeah it's awesome we've done it all all through online kind of collaborations and just sending the files around and recording it ourselves and we we have an assembly line kind of thing going where we have our producer who uh, is named chad copeland who lives in oklahoma and so we'll get the music rolling we'll each record something we'll send it to chad He'll say like, "Oh, this is this is cool. I love this. Uh, go back and re-record this. Why don't you try this?" And then we'll go back and forth a few times, and then he'll put his production touch on it. We'll send it off to the mix engineer. They'll mix it. They'll send it off to the mastering engineer, and then next thing you know, we have it back. So we have, and we're, and we're ready to release it. So we have an assembly line going, and that's great. In this I don't know this new age kind of way, like 
and we, we didn't want to let this slow us down because if if we can't be touring we just we want to make sure we're doing something right and, and that thing is that we can do now is is record from home and and do it hopefully at a level that still feels on par with the stuff we've already done yeah i just want to let everyone know that i am available for singing background vocals from this chair right here <laughs> <laughs> everyone everyone you have a beautiful SM7 right in front of you. That's right. I got the full thing. We can. I can make it happen. I can bang it out in 10 minutes. It'd be great. Um, hire him. Please, everybody, hire Jesse to sing. Hire this man. He's um, got the voice of an angel. Oh, stop it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love the... I mean, you have a great studio there, and I feel like you've done a lot more since last the last time, first time and last time that I was at your house. Um, I got to make it back down there. I'm noticing in the back those DWs that you had for that 2010. Ah, ah, yeah, yes, sir. The classic, like repurposing those at the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're beautiful drums. Are you still using green, the green mountains as the, uh, the, the touring kit, the main touring kit? Yeah. Yeah. Still using those. Um, great drums. Yeah. Love those as well. Um, yeah, got a, got, you know, got a few few things set up down here i've been doing a lot of recording while we're while we're stuck at home i mean you know both for the band and for some other projects and yeah. um it's been nice it's hard you know it's uh, as you know it's hard to find find that time with the baby in the house oh my god well i don't i don't know if he, he was he's been crying for the last 10 minutes or last 20 <laughs> minutes so he's he's gonna make an appearance on <laughs> all throughout this podcast <laughs> um but yeah it's um it's something else man it's something else. There's not enough hours in the day. That's for sure. Um, no, but is but, there you know, a, one thing? Yeah. One thing a lot of dads told me before this is you really learn to prioritize that time that you do have. Yes, and you know you don't you don't waste any of it. I mean, and you, you kind of realize how much time maybe you, at least in my case, I realized how much time I was wasting just doing random thing, looking at Facebook or whatever. Yeah, yep. and it's like, man, now I gotta I gotta dedicate all that time into drumming recording producing band stuff you know it's um yeah it's just it's harder to find those hours it's funny because you realize um you know that you you realize immediately why new dads just disappear (laughs) they're just they're just gone like you know if you have a friend that became a dad they're like i haven't heard from him in like in like six months it's like right you know when you have the kid you know exactly what's going on and why that is it's like nothing is more important he's he's aged like 22 years (laughs) yeah i definitely have some new wrinkles that i didn't have before um have you guys how how were the the nights in in the beginning um oh they were pretty tough yeah 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 well we've we've started this thing where where we uh my wife and i just switched our schedule like we offset our schedules so she takes the day shift with him and and gets up at six in the morning and takes care of him and then i stay with him all night and i go to bed at like six or seven in the morning oh when she wakes up do you still you still do that i'm still doing that for now yeah because oh my god until he's until he's sleeping more through the night it, I mean, otherwise we're just going to be up and I, I'm a light sleeper to begin with. So once I'm up, I'm not just going to fall back asleep. So wow. it makes more sense that I just, I just stay up with them all night yeah. and, and I get time to, to do, have my own time to do certain things and, um, get a lot of work done between midnight and 6am, which feels super weird. And then the sun comes up and I go to bed, but, um, it, wow. in a way it's, it's worked out well because we can both get at least you know, a few hours of uninterrupted sleep every night. Wow. So, that's, yeah, that's intense. That's really intense. Um, yeah, but we wouldn't be able to do it that way if we weren't quarantined. Like if this true, whole true. thing wasn't happening, if we had normal schedules right now, it just, it wouldn't work. So no, it'd be, one of the silver impossible. linings of, all right. How, how about you guys? How have you been adapting? I mean, what's the night like? I feel like I don't want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> We've, we've been very, very lucky with Ethan. We've been very lucky. I mean, in the beginning, it was a nightmare, complete nightmare up, up every two hours. And, um, you know, he, he wasn't, he's more of a crier now because I think he's actually teething. He's been drooling a lot. So I think his teeth are coming in early. Uh Um, which is crazy. He's a big, he's a big boy. He's big, he's strong. 
Um, but he is like, um, he's been sleeping pretty close to all the way through the night now. Um, which is like, yeah, well, we, we, we set a pretty, not, not strict, but like we set a, um, uh, a routine pretty, pretty early. And since Jen, Jen hasn't been work, well, obviously she's been on maternity leave, but I've been home constantly. So I would, I would kind of do what you did and stay up really late. Um, not quite to six, but I would have him until, and I would feed him with, with a bottle and then put him back in bed. And then she would get up in the morning, feed him again, go back to bed. Then I would kind of like just go back and forth. Hmm. Um, but now he's, he'll sleep. He goes to bed around like 11. We do the bath, feed him, put him down. And if all goes well, he'll, he'll sleep till about four or five. And then, um, and then I'll, I usually get up pretty early and I'll hang out, I'll hang out with them in the morning and stuff. But, um, wow, that sounds, that sounds like a nice schedule. (laughs) It's pretty good right now. I mean, you know, you know how it is. It it, it could change. It could change tomorrow. And I could be like, Rob, I was wrong. I'm up till 6am now every single day. (laughs) Um, so it's, it's crazy, man. And, And it's great, you know? Having kids, great. Yeah, it is. It really is. I think one thing we both have yet to experience is what it's like to be touring dad on the road while baby's at home. Dude, I am. I'm really stressed about that. Yeah, me too. Like the fact, the fact that like Kellogg has four kids and uh, <laughs> and does the touring. They like. I know that like once we do it, we're gonna figure it out and find a way. But can you imagine leaving? miles for more than like a few days right now i couldn't because i've i mean literally been with him 24 7 since he was born because we haven't left the house to do anything you know we we haven't had a minute of relief from from anybody we've we've just been with them this whole time and grown so attached and it's yeah it's fantastic for that bonding um but like man i just that first flight like flying away and then, you know, having to do FaceTime. Um, you know, I see the guys do it all the time. Like before they go on stage, they talk, they FaceTime the kids and they have this routine. Um, but then you have to figure out the scheduling because, you know, Genevieve is going to go back to work in a couple of weeks. Um, so then it's the whole, when are you watching? You know, then you're kind of on your own a little bit more. Um, which is scary. That scares me a lot. <laughs> but, um, it's, I don't know, man. It's just, I, I wish, I wish us both the best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> me too, my friend. How, how many of the guys in, uh, in carbon leaf have kids? Uh, two of them. Yeah. Two of them. Okay. So Carter has two kids and Terry has three. Terry has three, okay. three kids, which I, I don't know how you do that. I, I mean, nobody touches Kellogg though. No, I mean, that's a whole other level, <laughs> uh, you know, but he is such an inspiration though. Like when, when we were thinking about having kids and thinking about how we can make it work, that, that that's the guy that I think about. I'm like, if Stephen Kellogg can tour like he does and do everything that he does with four kids and a wife at home, it's, that's so unbelievably inspiring. Yeah, and and it's incredible, and he has amazing kids, and they're all like so brilliant, and yep. just uh, he's just got a great family, and to be able to do that the way that he does is like I don't know, it just it really inspires me. Yeah, 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 just like you said, the way that they they're all just so sweet and and smart and really cool, and it's yeah. I remember when when Genevieve and I were talking about having kids and stuff. It was like, well, I mean. Kellogg does it. <laughs> and it's like, maybe we don't have to have four, but yeah, <laughs> no, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, I never told you that. I got to tell you that Kellogg story. Um, Oh, please do. Uh, yeah. How, how are you doing on time? You okay? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. You'll be up till six. You got plenty of time. I, I have nowhere to be until like, I don't know, nine or 10 months from now. <laughs> um, so when I first when I first started playing with Kellogg, when he did the you know um, 
the email hey can you do can you uh, you know uh, i'd love to play with you can you do the the this date or you know whatever learn these songs mm-hmm. it was, i think it was like it was a long list of songs i, I was very overwhelmed <laughs> it was probably like 30 you know we're only gonna play what 15 in a night and i think the list was like 35 40 songs long and i was i freaked out and i also oh, wow. wasn't like i had been you know with dan I wasn't playing all that much with Dan because he didn't hold the same schedule. He was working another job and we just weren't playing that much. Music wasn't full time. I was bartending full time. So I wasn't like in the uh, professional musician mode of like constantly practicing, constantly working on tunes and doing all the things you need to do to be a professional musician. I wasn't doing those things at all. So I got, you know, the opportunity to play the gig, went down to Steven's house, practiced with him. Um, it went okay because, you know, you're playing the songs and, and you realize that certain artists, bands, they have tendencies. And when someone's written so much music and you're trying to learn it all, all like, you know, within a couple weeks, everything starts sounding the same. And I had a really hard time, um, uh, discerning song from song. And now it seems so ridiculous to me since I've played those songs so much, but I had a hard time, you know, and I, Mm, and I don't necessarily, uh, learn learn stuff very quickly and I have trouble like retaining things that I read, like stuff like that. I'm not, it does, I don't retain things well when I have to do it very quickly. Um, I've since developed ways to, to do it better, but it's not my strong suit. So that's the backstory here. So this gig was in Pittsburgh, I believe it was at like a small cafe and, um, it's actually where I got that nickname Chardonnay from. And um, <laughs> I always wondered about that. I ordered a Chardonnay and that's where, that's where it came from. <laughs> and it sticks with you forever. It sticks with you forever, like, man. That's, I mean, I, I, I'm always, I'm always going to be suitcase Griffith because I, I showed know. up with that large ass suitcase on my first day of tour with him. <laughs> as, he, as he would tell from stage, I, I showed up with a suitcase bigger than Taylor Swift would have had on a worldwide tour. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's pretty funny. Um, we, we played we played the gig. It didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. Like you know how if you're playing with some, I don't know if you know because you're a great drummer, but it's like you uh, you have all this stuff in your head and you like have a chart and you're so in your head about stuff where you miss stupid things. And mm-hmm. you know if 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 I'm Steven in that situation, I have no confidence in the person behind me because he just missed this thing. He went into this section he did whatever, but I'm faking it the best I can. And I get to finally get through the show. So I get up, we, we stay at the hotel. I get up at like, you know, I don't know. I think lobby, the lobby call was 8am. So I get up at seven and I have this email in my email, my inbox. That's like, <laughs> this this big and oh it's boy. it's explain you know it's explaining how you can't he can't have like telegraph when he's playing so he has to be able to relax into things and and basically just like you know saying that was terrible and you can't i don't think maybe this is a good idea for you know and and that and then we have to we have to do the ride home from oh man from pits like pittsburgh <laughs> It's like, like riding home with like your your dad who's mad at you on like vacation and you're yeah. stuck in the car with him. But the the problem with me is like I'm like ultra competitive. So I was fucking mad. I was really mm. mad and I was like why could, you know, like why couldn't you send this to me tomorrow or something <laughs> after the ride? But, you know, to his credit, when things are on his mind, he he said he says them which is which i think right. is i think is a good quality but it was that was a tough tough ride home and i think at one of our rest stops like he he said to me he's like hey man you know you don't look like you're doing so hot <laughs> and we didn't really know each other all that well i'm like yeah well you know i just basically got told that told that i really didn't do a good job last night mm-hmm. and i don't feel great about it and i also didn't realize how much 
was expected of of pros to be a pro you got to know you got to know your shit and um i was also toying with the idea of selling all my stuff and not doing music anymore before this oh wow so glad you didn't do that man i mean i was honestly man i was like this close this close wow of just going and doing something else i i i took the email really hard off the bat but then when i really thought about it i was like all right you have a decision to make either you do what it takes to get good at this and you do that or you say i failed and that's that's the end of that and then you were the guy that he tells to the next drummer that like yeah the last guy couldn't cut it and i that just didn't sit well with me at all um so I learned all the stuff in and out. I basically, I think he took me off this other, uh, the next gig that we were booked. I think you might've actually played the next one that I was supposed to do. And then I basically just called him and said, Hey, what are you doing today? I'm coming to your house and we're going to play. So I, showed up at his house at like eight in the morning and coming from Boston, you know, I I had to wake up pretty early to get (laughs) down there at that time. So I, uh, I get to his house, he answers the door, he's in his underwear. (laughs) He's like (laughs) on the phone with the cable company. Typical. Typical. No, it's, he just opens the door and he, and honestly, I I can't say I would have taken me seriously either after what had happened at that gig. And, uh, we went to, I went and set up my stuff. I was, dude, I knew the stuff like the back of my hand. I knew it cold. I was just like, I was not gonna, I got out of my lazy bartender, you know, you're, you're going to half-ass this stuff. And I went like a hundred percent went for it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, we played, we got three songs in, he said, let's take a break. And then he offered me the, the, the next tour that he did. So it was That's uh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was just um it was somebody that was willing to take a chance or uh take a chance on somebody that nece- wasn't necessarily taking things 100 like taking things seriously and um seeing what they would do. And and it's I mean, first off, it's amazing that you just took that initiative on your own and and didn't let that you know, ruin the opportunity for you to, to get that gig. And it's also awesome on his part that he was willing to, to give that second chance. And, but most importantly, the fact that you just stepped up and delivered above and beyond probably what he was even hoping for made all the difference in the world. Yeah. uh, And it really was, um, like before that, it really was kind of a rock box, rock bottom moment for me. Um, you know, wow. I felt pretty, pretty worthless after that gig and reading that email. And it was exactly what I needed because I didn't really see any other option. The other option was like, I guess I'll work in this bar and then maybe go back to school and be like, uh, go into to sports because I that's also hmm. a passion and total career change. Yeah, total, total yeah. 180. And, and I just was like, no, no don't want to do that that's that's not an option so i guess i need to figure this out man that that that's a great story that's i mean that's that's an inspiring story uh i'm so glad to hear that you didn't throw in the towel there obviously i knew you didn't throw in the towel because you've been doing amazing things since then um but that's that's just really inspiring and i never knew that 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 you hit that point but it's, it's it's about how you respond to that that defines you and and paves your future and like you've done so many awesome things. You're one of the best drummers I know. And I think it's, it's just, that's a great story and I'm, I'm happy for you and I'm so stoked that worked out and yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all go through, I feel like many versions of that all the time. And it's, it's all about how, how you get up and it's not necessarily about how much money you make the next day or, or, or the big, you know, play in front of 80,000 person venue. It's about getting up and making a list and checking those things off. And if, 
if you're not making a list and you're not doing anything, that's also part of the failure. It's like, you got to get up, you got to have a goal and you got to just do things, just do things you want to do <laughs> and, and something's going to happen. And uh, yeah, so. preparation is half the battle, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's having to learn all that stuff. And then I had to do it again with carbon leaf. And I knew, and I took that same experience and that same approach. And, um, you know, I didn't make the same mistake twice. That's what you got to do. You got to live and learn. You got to keep, you got to keep putting the effort in and, and, um, you know, I'm guilty so much of, of being lazy and, and, uh, you know, maybe not editing a podcast or not working on a tune for a Thursday night and sitting down and playing, playing call of duty on the xbox for for a couple more hours than i wanted to but you also have to have that that chill out and relax time i think but you know oh definitely i've been yeah. talking a gotta, lot <laughs> dude i love it i love it yeah, but sorry yeah, you gotta have you gotta have that you gotta have that time to like clear your head i mean it's it's so important I, you know i find like if i get too bogged down with thinking about music or drumming or whatever just all it takes is like an hour of just doing something completely different and then oh yeah bring you back yeah you know yeah i find i find that taking a couple of weeks not weeks but like a few days off drumming even if i'm ha if i feel stuck behind the kit or if i'm like you know if i'm trying to learn some kind of new independence thing um if i just can't get it and, and it's taking me more time than I, than it will usually take. If I walk away for a while and then come back, it usually comes faster and you feel, you feel more energetic about it. You feel more, uh, I don't know, some, something about walking away and not doing it for a second and then coming at it with fresh, fresh ears, a fresh approach it makes, makes all the difference for me. Yeah. Um, it's weird how like the mind works when it comes to practice and like mm -hmm. effective practice. I, I've, I've been actually doing some reading recently on, on this just cause like we were saying with, with the babies, time is more limited now. So like making the most out of that time has, has become a real interest for me. Whereas, you know, before I might've had like eight hours in a day to do the same thing that now I have two hours to do. Yeah. And so, so like one of the, one of the things that I've, I've found that's kind of interesting, are you familiar with the Pomodoro method? If you ever heard of this? I've heard of it. I don't remember what it is. <laughs> it's, I mean, th there's probably a lot more to it and somebody's going to listen to this and say like, he's got it all wrong, but, yeah. but it's, it's basically doing things in 25 minute increments. Okay. And then taking a break after that. So they call it the Pomodoro method because I guess there are these old timers that used to be on stove tops that only go up to 25 minutes. So, um, so you do something for 25 minutes then you take at least a five minute break after that and just clear your head and then come back to it or go or go to something completely different. But the idea is 25 completely focused, uninterrupted minutes. You're not looking at your phone. You're not, you know, you are just in the zone. And, you know, the, what they what they're able to show from that is that people are just so much more effective in these shorter bursts of time than say if you went and try to sit down and do the same thing for two hours because after 25 minutes your returns can be diminished oh yeah and you, you know when you start to lose focus i mean, I mean you know they, they, the average person right now has a, an attention span of like like 40 seconds or something. It's something is, is it 12 <laughs> seconds it's like it's crazy it's, it's low whatever so, it is it's, it's low it's so it's so low so <laughs> you know if you can if you can get 25 minutes of something, that's like, that's pretty good right now. But it's also like the right amount of time for your, your brain, your mind to absorb certain things. Have so. you ever read, uh, the art of work? I'm trying to see if it's up on my bookshelf. Uh, yeah. The art of work it's by Jeff Goins. G O I N S. No, I haven't. So the art What's of it? work, it takes the print, the, like the 10,000 hour principle, mm. um, but it's basically all about how, so I'll use drums as an example. So sitting behind the drums and playing drums for 10,000 hours isn't the 10,000 hours they were talking about. So say if I sat down and just played, wasn't necessarily, you know, maybe played to a couple tunes, maybe just messed around, did a bunch of fills and just grooved, whatever. That time and that playing does not go towards the 10,000 hours. Mm. What goes towards the 10,000 hours is the time that I spend struggling 
on that new independence thing that I want to learn. So gotcha. it's not doing the things that you already know. It's working on the things that you want to know or want to get better at. It's that stretching of the muscles. It's the, it's the lifting the weights and tearing apart that old muscle and building new things back. You learning a new program on an app or, or, or learning something, something completely, right, okay. completely new and extending and stretching your skill set. Like things that are at the the edge of your current capabilities. Exactly, it's working. Yeah. It's working on those things. You know, I, this happens to me all the time when I'm practicing. I'm trying to learn something new. I'll spend 20 minutes. I'll get bored, and then I just fuck around. Um, mm. And then, what I should be doing is working on, you know, say a triplet pattern while singing an eighth note pattern or, or, or singing it a triplet pattern while playing 16th note funk or whatever, working on the things that are difficult that are not in my bag of tricks completely yet. Um, sure. It's, it's that kind of thing. I, I highly rec- recommend that book. And I think that, and I think that, um, principle works for everything, everything. That's awesome. The art, the art. Oh, sorry. What's it called? The art of what? The art of work. The art of work. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. Really enjoy that book. And I bet, bet you know, Andy Sorensen is into that. Um, you know, a lot of, like self help books kind of thing. That, Kellogg is into them too. Um, mm. That one was a really, really great one. So I highly, highly recommend that. That's cool. I, I actually, I just started another one too, similar to that. It sounds like it's called the Talent Code. Okay. And it's about like this guy went around and studied all these talent hotbeds around the world and not necessarily just not, not necessarily in music. Some of them are music, but a lot of them are sports. Like he went to a, a tennis camp in Russia that just puts out the most like amazing players in the world and a soccer camp in Brazil that does the same thing. And then like a couple of music schools. It's like kids for the spelling bee in India and stuff like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. like, why, why, what are they doing differently there? That's producing this kind of talent and it's really interesting and it gets scientific and I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of it that kind of get boring on the surface, but it is very, very interesting. And, um, just the way that they're coached, the, the way that they practice, the way that like, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to sit there. I think we all think as musicians, like to get really good, you have to sit, sit there and practice for eight or 10 hours a day and lock yourself away. Like some of these greats did. And sure, like that, that helps. But if, I don't know if that eight hours isn't, well-focused, it's not going to yield you those results because maybe only one of those hours is actually focused and the rest you're just kind of like, you know, dicking around on the drums. Yeah, it has to, it has to be productive. And, and I think another part of practice for a drummer should be trying to get into studios and hanging out and being able to hang there. <laughs> you know, like that's another, yeah. that's another skill that you need to need to know and learn and, and be able to, to do. And, you know, the most, working drummers in history are definitely not the most skillful and technically sound drummers. Um, you right. know, you have your Steve Gads and, you know, drummers like that who are just have it all, but you know, you also have, and I hate uh, Steve Jordan doesn't fall into that category cause he can do it all too. But what he really is known for is his ability to sit and play in the pocket and groove and, and, uh, mm-hmm. that's not the hardest, like technically thing to do, but having the feel that he has and, and to sound like he does is, is him is right. It's a really hard thing to explain without people thinking that I'm saying that Steve Jordan isn't good. Cause he's my favorite drummer, <laughs> but he's well, amazing. I mean, yeah, but having like, having the, like the note spacing and like the beat placement that he has yes. is the equivalent of like the guy that can play 30 second notes around the kit at like, you know, 120 BPM. And like, it, it's, it's a mastery. It's, it's a mastery. Yeah. It's a mastery. It's a mastery of that. And, and like what makes the difference between Steve Jordan and, and the average drummer is like these milliseconds of how his beat is placed and how it you know, lines up and grooves with the music mm-hmm. and the sound that he gets and the consistency in the oh, sound, the sound and, um, and just the way that, I mean, the, one of the most brilliant things about Steve Jordan is just how he can take the simplest idea and make it 
so amazing. Just like the the power of like of less notes, the power yep. of less notes that he plays. Um, you know, half the time his fills are just like, tum, tum, chan, tum, 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 boom, tum, you know, and yeah, that's yeah. It. and it's just, and, and it's perfect. And it, it makes total sense, and it's exactly what was needed. And yep, yep. That is such a skill, and, and that's that's almost more of a mental skill too than yep. a physical skill. I mean, it's the ability to play to play, and this is a whole other thing. It's like the ability to play musically behind the drums and play lyrically. Um, you know, I hear John Mayer uh, explain soloing as playing lyrically. Like, how would a how would a, a voice approach this melody or approach this solo? Not necessarily how many notes can you put in it, but how would how would this be uh, pleasing to the ear and take me from here and and also bring me up to that place of that high energy and while still being lyrical and musical and it's such an art, man. It's such an art. It is, and that and that's why you can sing like every one of those guitar solos too. You know, like it's just yeah. it's part of the song. When you hear the song back in your head, it's like okay, that guitar solo is like part full of the circle around to those those uh, those like signature parts. You know, the signature parts that you can't you can't like live without when you're when you're listening back to a song and how live bands need to like to recreate it and not leave some of these things out. Like if I'm doing a cover of a, uh, a certain song, there's things that you can't leave out because then it's just not that song anymore. You can approach it in a way that makes it you artistically, but you still need to mm-hmm. like adhere to the, to the song and do the thing that makes the song the thing, you know? Right. Yeah. You got to stick with that, that framework. Right. I, I think there's nothing more infuriating than like hearing an artist you love do a completely revamped version of a song that you love. When I say that, I, I don't mean like they changed an arrangement or an intro. I mean like they're like, they reharmonized, they're re remelodicized. Is that a word? I don't know. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, I don't know, almost like I've heard people do that to a point that it's, un- it's an unrecognizable song and like why would you why would you ruin a great song it's like you're just you're not you're just play a different song or write a different song (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly yeah it almost feels to me like a like a fuck you to your fans too because they want to hear that they want to hear it the way they know it and love it i mean if i would if i went to a bronze radio show i'd be bummed if you guys didn't play shake 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 yeah i would be i would be i want to hear that song and if and if carbon leaf doesn't play life less ordinary or what about everything there's going to be riots in the streets (laughs) <laughs> do you guys ever get like I don't want to say hate mail but do you guys ever get like emails or messages strongly worded ones because you didn't play a song at a show no, I don't think so I don't really see any of that stuff but I um, I do every now and then see a, a comment of like oh they didn't play that when they came here this week or, or you know this year or whatever so Bar- I will say that Barry does a really good job of going back in the set list of previous years and switching it up and making sure that we do play those hits, quote unquote hits, and mm. also change it up and play uh, play some different stuff that people want to hear. But this the there's so many songs the the catalog is so deep that it's really tough to uh, you know to make everybody happy. But I don't I don't think anyone's ever been like angry. A, mm. about um us not playing something we did do an all request set in dc last year which was really cool i think i think people might have been bummed if their request wasn't in there but we played 50 songs well two nights two nights we played 25 each night and and most of damn. them were songs that we did not were not in the 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 regular lineup it was tough it was a it was a it was a tough uh thing to get together but it was it was definitely super fun really fun yeah must be fun to just really dust off some of those ones that you don't get to play much and yeah there's just there's a different spark when you're like playing a song you haven't played or yeah. you know haven't played in a while or oh yeah i i, I asked you that because actually funny enough in dc as well we played a show on this past tour last year and we got an email after the show from a guy who we didn't play a song that he wanted to hear. And it's in our defense, it's not one of our most popular songs. So it's, you know, it's kind of a long shot that maybe it would have been in the set anyway. 
But he wrote us this scathing email about how much we like we ruined his night and just how awful his whole experience was because we didn't play this one song. And I, I mean, it went even further than that. Like, I, I almost want to say he got like a little nasty with us. And really, it was just like, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, we very much love connecting with our fans and we love, you know, making sure people are getting what they want. And like a lot of, of times course. if somebody requests a song ahead of time, like we will go out of our way to put it in the set list, assuming it's a song that like we have an arrangement together for and have played somewhat recently. But like, I don't know, to hear that, it, it, at first we kind of laughed. And then after that, we were like, that kind of bummed us out for a second because what it's also telling us is like, we played our asses off that night and this guy came out and couldn't see past what he wanted to hear to like, enjoy the show as we wanted to present it to them. Right. And so like, that's kind of offensive. Yeah. Sometimes people don't understand like if I equate that to working in the restaurant industry and just realizing all the different types of people that come in and you deal with people that are unreasonable or you deal with the, the completely opposite end of that where people are so, you know, they get something and they get the wrong thing, but they apologize. They're like, no, no, I'll have this anyway. Like you have the, the people that will just put up with anything, but there is that person that thinks that, they're entitled to, to to their good time and that they don't think of you guys as someone that's putting on a show that they think is, um, you know, the best for that night, the best for that place. And just, just for someone to think that they can email you that, <laughs> that they're upset that you didn't play a particular, particular song, it's just it's so strange to me it's so strange to me you know that it would it would ruin their night (laughs) right and to and to work under that assumption too like they could have just as easily sent an email ahead of time and said hey would you mind playing this song and yeah chances are we probably would have played it yeah but but instead like we had no idea We we, we you can't get mad if you never asked for it Right. It's not like we did something defiant and like yeah. ignored uh, ignored one of our, our fans who wanted to hear something. I mean, we love getting those emails. Like it feels good to know somebody wants yeah. to hear one of our songs that much that, so I don't know, that just, <laughs> that was weird. And, and it's not the first time that that has happened. It's not happened a lot, but you know, as you know, like we put a lot of, as being in bands like this and doing this for a while, you put a lot of thought into your set lists. It's not, it's never just like, all right, we're going to throw these all in and see how it comes out. It's like, yeah, no, it's, like, it's not by accident. Are, it's definitely not by accident. And sometimes you want to, you want to push people to hear something that maybe they haven't heard on the record. Cause maybe it's a B side and you want to, you want them to experience that. Cause you think it's a good song that you put a lot into and it doesn't get the recognition that you want so then you have that opportunity to do that on stage and you hope that people take to it and sometimes they do sometimes they don't who makes your set list um we do it pretty collectively i mean really yeah yeah recently for our tours like we'll get together for like maybe a week of rehearsals before we go out and tour and throughout that you know we'll start by just running down every song and making sure we have it together and then we'll think about how do we want to have songs flow into each other and then then we start thinking about like okay so maybe most nights we'll open with this and then have some segue into this or that and just you know and then and then by the end of that week of rehearsals we'll have like kind of a a framework that we'll always work off of for that tour because i mean it's rare that we'll play two nights in one city it's usually just we're, we're one and done we're moving on so that way it doesn't have to change drastically every night right so um, but you know, we'll, we'll move, we'll move things in out. We'll have like a few slots in there that we'll rotate different songs in. Maybe we'll change what we open or close with. Maybe one night we'll do a, a one song encore. One night we'll do a three song encore. You know, it just, it, it, it really varies yeah. depending on where we're going. But the, the framework that we put together though, we all put a lot of thought into in, in our rehearsals. So that's cool. I do like, yeah. I do like dialing in a set and playing it for multiple nights in a row. Uh, especially if you're not, if you're going city to city and, um, 
<clears throat> you know, and the cities aren't particularly close together where people can travel to more than one show and you want to make sure people get a variety. But, um, I will say that, that, uh, you know, Barry, Barry makes our set lists every, every day. And, um, you know, he will, he will throw some curveballs in there just because mm. like, you know, I'm sure there's songs that he wants to sing and songs that he wants to do that are different, but we have so many tunes that we have to play every night. Um, mm. you know, there's at least five that, that won't move. Um, like you will get the angry emails if you don't oh, play yeah. those five. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we don't play what about everything or life less ordinary or desperation song or, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a few, uh, then, then you're going to have a bad time tomorrow in the email department. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we play all those songs all the time and, and it's, uh, it's great. We, we were playing this song called lonesome pine, um, last year, which was like, kind of came out of that all request set. So it was super fun. It was like such a fun song to play. And I think I asked for it like every night and I got it most, most of the time, but sometimes it's like, I don't want to play that song. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I do, I do like the songs playing the songs that we don't play all the time to vary it up. But you know, we're, we're a bunch of clowns playing music in around the country so who cares <laughs> that's right you know i'm not complaining not a bad day's work no matter how you cut it yeah well dude i am going to i think that was fantastic this was so fun dude, this was really great so to much. catch up and talk can, and figure can i ask out. you one more can i ask you one more question before yeah we sign off sure because i'm curious because as somebody that does a lot of podcasts and uh -huh. asks a lot of questions what is your least favorite question to be asked in an interview or um like let's say you're doing an interview with your band like what's okay. your least favorite question because i'm just curious Ooh, that's a good question um probably like what comes first the music or the lyrics <laughs> or <laughs> um and I understand why someone would ask that question because, you know, if they're not a songwriter or something, the answer to that question is, however it has to happen, that's how it happens. Um, right. There's no right or wrong way to write a song. Um, just however it comes is how it comes. The other one is like, uh, since I'm, you know, the guy that has come after come after uh long term drummers in you know in bands uh, mostly like is is so and so coming back or how long are you going to be doing this for <laughs> i i have gotten that from from fans after so are you going to be around forever or is this yeah. just temporary or like i used to drink with the other guy and you know he was really fun and <laughs> Yeah, it's just um, that kind of thing does. It shouldn't get to me as much as it does now, uh, but it, it definitely does. It's just some a fan that, you know, isn't paying attention, is, isn't following after the gig or isn't following the social media and seeing, like, the effort. I try to put a lot of work into it and effort to, to be more than just the guy behind the drums. And, um, and it bums me out when when someone hasn't put in like a second of research to know mm. what's what's going on um and it, you know it 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 does it does sting a little bit when you think that like you played a good show and you're sweating and you're and you're doing a meet and greet which i don't like doing i don't like doing meet and greets uh it's very it's a very public thing that people know that i don't <laughs> like doing it <laughs> um but uh yeah, when you're when you're still sweaty from from playing the show, and and the first thing someone that you don't a stranger says to you that you're like, uh, you know, when when's the other guy coming back? 
it's like it's like fuck man (laughs) brutal and that other guy is so amazing when's he coming back yeah i'm like man i thought i was okay okay. i I thought i I was okay pretty good here i'm i'm working hard for you guys yeah you know come on there's nothing to take you down a peg or two like like a comment like that (laughs) but as far as like professional (laughs) interviews i don't know I, i that's a good question i i really uh I'm not, I'm not sure. Do you have a particular thing that, that people have asked you that you're like, that rubs you the wrong way? Uh, probably. Um, you know what, you know what, I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily the same kind of thing, but I think when people ask like, Hey, when are you coming? When are you going to come play in Cleveland? And like, you just played there three nights before yes. or, that or something drives, like that. Yeah. That drives me crazy as well. It's like, dude, um, read, like go on a website. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's it's or, such um, e- it's such easy information to figure it out to figure out it's just it's crazy i think i think the other one like you said like when people don't do any research i think like how did how did you get your band name uh, i think that one i don't know that one always says to me that like the interviewer maybe didn't do the, do any research because that's right. i think for most bands that's a really easy answer to find yeah I particularly like as an interviewer myself, I hope, I hope for you it's felt natural, but I like to just go from, from one thing to the other. And, and, uh, you know, I like to ask things that would interest me (laughs) selfishly and just to just, I like to, to just talk, you know, I'm not trying to hit any, any particular thing. I feel like it would be silly if we didn't talk about certain things that we've already talked about, but, um, uh, but you know, I like it to just kind of come naturally in conversation. I think people, I think people appreciate that, like a, like a natural, uh, conversation. Yeah. And, and it, it really, it's really been a natural thing. I think for you, even like I've listened to so many of the episodes and even just from like the very beginning, like I think Kellogg was one of the earlier ones you had on there. Yeah. I think he was like episode like six or something. It was early. Yeah, and, and that was such a great episode, and um, that was one of I the mean, best ones. Like the, well, yeah, one. And, uh, you know what? One of my other favorite ones was was um, with uh, Jordan Berger. Jordan's was great. Jordan's was yeah. like very educational. Totally, I thought he had so many awesome things to say, and like I could tell he's a really passionate guy. And for I'll tell all the you, bands that he represents, and I'll tell you, Jordan was very nervous to do it. it, it he, oh, really? He's, <laughs> he he like. You know, we went back and forth with emails, you know, what he, he wanted to know what I was going to ask him and I, and I wouldn't tell him. (laughs) (laughs) He's just, uh, he, he was very concerned with how it was going to come out. And I was like, Jordan, just chill, man. (laughs) But he was great. He he was one of the best, he was one of the best episodes. And I told him, I was like, man. You, you're good at, you were great at it. It was, we just I, sat down. You could down use and, that episode as like, that could be like a, like a, like used in a school. I mean, it's, it could it's be. like so educational as far as just how the live world and the, the world of agencies and promoters and festivals and just all that stuff works and the, the, yep. the true reality of it. And it was, it's really nice to hear. I thought he had an awesome perspective on that. Yep. Um, yeah, I think I also he loved did your one, your interview with Sarah Hagen from Zildjian. I Sarah's that was, really was cool great too. too. I want to have her, yeah. her back on. Um, I actually, re- you reminded me, I got to send her an email. Um, I got to have her back on to ask her how Zildjian's doing with this whole mess. But, um, mm. I, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them have been so educational and with Jordan's in particular, uh, a point that I like to kind of hit on is, is the fact that you're not gonna, the deal, like the person coming in and signing you and then you just automatically having a million dollars or whatever, it doesn't exist. Like you have to, you have to prove to a booking agency why they should book you or you have to prove to a label why they should invest in you. Um, and like I said, like selling 200 copies of something that you own a hundred percent of, but you're out there putting in the work and you own all of it, you know, you got to be able to, to do it yourself until you can't anymore until you just, you know, until it's gotten big enough where you're like, all right, I need some help here. Um, and right. I, th- I think that Jordan really, really hit that point right on the head. 
Um, so yeah, that was yeah, a good one. It was great. All right, man. Well, this was fantastic. Thank great. you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I, I look forward to just listening to all the episodes I, I haven't heard yet and the future ones. And thanks, man. Absolutely. It's been so much fun. And that's it. That's my conversation with the great Rob Griffith. I hope you enjoyed. Please stick around for the music right here after my spiel. Email the podcast at afterthegigpod at gmail.com. And please check out the Patreon and uh, see how you can support arts and uh, this podcast. I will see you next week. Peace. you see it in front of you in a silhouette up ahead if you see where you're going to lead your way sing your song moving every day going further on sun goes down You work this time between them A far off land to your own hometown You've been all around to see them And when it's standing in front of you And you take it and you put it in And you see where you're going to